On today's episode of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast, we'll be talking plenty about the Patriots and their week one loss to the Dolphins, give you guys an inside look as to just some thoughts from that game. We'll take a look ahead to the Patriots week two matchup against the Jets. We will also get to a reaction from week one from around the league, and we will also take a look at week two games, including the Thursday night football game tonight between the Giants and the Washington football team, and then we'll also take a look at some news and notes from around the NFL. Then we will get to baseball, talk about the Red Sox and their recent road trip, winning two out of three in Seattle. So we'll talk about what uh, to expect in in the Sox final homestand of the season, if you can believe that. So we'll take a look at that, take a look at Chris Sale, who is scheduled to return from the COVID list tomorrow or this weekend, I believe. I will also take a look at the Red Sox schedule on this homestand and their schedule the rest of the season as their regular season ends two weeks from Sunday. We will also get to some news and notes from around Major League Baseball. Then we will get to talking about the Bruins. It is almost time for training camp. It is rookie camp going on right now. So we'll give you guys a look at some players that um, might be key players to watch during practices, and then the rookie tournament this weekend, so we'll tell you all about that. Um, Then as we are approaching training camp, we'll give you guys um, a couple of players to watch for uh, the Bruins training camp that starts next week. Uh, We will also get to some news and notes from around the NHL. Then we will get to the NBA, talk a little bit of NBA, some notes from around the league. We'll do a little recap of the Hall of Fame ceremony that went on this past weekend look at a couple of players that got inducted, including Paul Pierce. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Then we will get to talking a little bit about the revolution, get into college football week three, take a look at some of the rankings, take a look at some of the games that are coming up, and then we will take a look at the WNBA as their season ends on Sunday, take a look at what the standings are looking like there. So let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. And today, NFL season is finally in full swing. Week one is in the books. It was a really exciting week one. We'll talk about some of the games um, in a little bit. But uh, excited to be back with you guys this week. As, uh, believe it or not, there are uh, more sports that are coming up and and starting soon. So uh, really looking forward to this fall. I think it's going to be an exciting fall for um, a lot of us here in the, in the Boston area. So uh, looking forward to getting into today's episode. Got plenty of Patriots, uh, plenty of Red Sox as both of them are, you know, in the swing of things, Red Sox and in the playoff chase, we'll uh, update you guys on all of that. And then obviously the Patriots coming off a 
a uh, really tough week one loss. We'll get into all that. But uh, before we do that, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and on Facebook, and you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. If you want to read some of my written content, you can go to Garrett Hayden Sports Media. Wrote an article yesterday about Charlie Coyle. I'll get into some of that actually today, um, as I did want to talk about him a little bit later when we talk about the Bruins. So let's just get right into the Patriots. Uh, week one, obviously, a lot of excitement. Uh, there were some good games this week, I thought. Um, I thought that, you know, obviously the Patriots game was the game that a lot of us had our eyes on, but, you know, the week started really strongly. You had a great game between the Bucks and the Cowboys on Thursday night. That game was definitely a lot closer than I thought it was going to be. I think that uh, I didn't expect that Dallas was going to put on quite an offensive display that they did. You know, I think that um, a lot of people were maybe concerned about Dak Prescott. How would he look in his first game back from, you know, the ankle injury last year and then had the shoulder issue or the, the lat issue, excuse me, um, in training camp. But, I mean, he didn't miss a beat. He looked incredible. Uh, the Cowboys really, I don't think, had any reason to be upset with that loss. I mean, other than the defense kind of struggled. But I think they played about as well as you could expect. So, you know, there are plenty of good good games in week one. Um, I thought good starts for certain teams, poor starts for certain teams, obviously. But, you know, a lot of excitement into the Patriots game. Um, and, yeah, there were a lot of things to be frustrated with, I think, namely the penalties. You got a couple of, you know, personal foul penalties, got a number of um, offensive penalties, you know, in terms of holding um, and things like that, which is, you know, frustrating to see, but it's going to happen. And I also think it's it's week one. You're bound to see some mistakes like that. It just was unfortunate that we saw the Patriots make a number of uncharacteristic mistakes, you know, with the penalties and the turnovers. You know, I think at the end of the day, that is what the Patriots pride themselves on, is being disciplined and taking care of the football. And they didn't do either of those things on Sunday really consistently. And it really was frustrating because Mac Jones played a great game. He looked incredibly comfortable in that game, you know, really looked comfortable against the Blitz, which was something I was concerned about. You know, how are the Dolphins going to try to disrupt the timing? How many guys are they going to send? And Mac looked really, really good. You know, at a number of plays where he was hit, still made the throw, you know, made a great step up and throw in the second half, like a 25-yard throw to Aguilar, and just looked really comfortable. You know, I think that obviously we don't want to quickly, you know, crown this guy to be like, oh, you know, he's the next guy, but it was a step in the right direction. I think that that's the most important thing. You wanted to see him perform in a, you know, game that I think meant a lot. You know, I think it's a division opponent. It's an opponent that I think you're going to be neck and neck with almost all season. So yes, it's very unfortunate that you lost that game because you probably should have won it. You know, there's no excuse for, you know, the fumbles and the bad penalties and you just can't afford that, especially in these division games, you know, in a season where, these division games are really going to matter. So I think it really was unfortunate that they lost the game. You know, Harris loses that fumble 
as the Patriots are driving down the field for a potential winning score. And you just kind of fumbled away all the momentum, you know. And I think it's uh, it's unfortunate because Mac Jones definitely deserved better. You know, the game that he played, he definitely deserved a win. But that's football. That's sports. You know, I think that it's there are more lessons to be learned in losses than there are to be in wins. And so I think, are there things the Patriots have to work on? Yes, absolutely. You can't be taking, you know, that many penalties into week two against the Jets, another division opponent. Um, Not really a team that I think any of us expect to be, you know, players in the AFC East, but these are games that are tough. You know, you have a Jets team that historically has been a poor team, you know, over the last number of years, but they almost always give you one good game a season. You know, yes, there are games where the Patriots have dominated the Jets, but I feel like over the last couple of years, there's always one game where they play the Patriots really, really well. Um, And so I think that, yeah, it's ball security, it's turnovers, it's maybe, or ball security, it's um, discipline. And so I think, you know, this week you want to see improvements in that. But I also think that the Patriots could afford to kind of open the playbook a little bit this week um, and kind of see what Mac Jones can do throwing the ball down the field because the Jets are pretty thin in their secondary. So you could see a lot of kind of play-action passes or just throwing deep. Um, But I also think that with this offense and with a, a quarterback like Jones, who, yes, looked very comfortable in week one, you still want to kind of ease him into games. And so I think establishing the run game with Damian Harris, with Ramondre Stevenson, you want to keep doing that, and then you can kind of open things up. Um, I know that there are some people that thought the Patriots were too conservative in week one, and they kind of went this dink and dunk route, but I also think the game plan kind of called for that, or, or the team that you were playing kind of called for that. You have a team like the Dolphins who are going to be really aggressive and blitz you a lot, that's how you can take advantage of their short passes. You know, maybe the strategy is different this week, and the Patriots try to throw the ball down the field and try to get guys like Aguilar and um, Kendrick Bourne and Jacoby Myers to to stretch the defense. Maybe you try to do that this week. Um, But I also just think, again, you want to establish the run. You want to get Mac Jones comfortable and into these games. You know, this is going to be a road game. This is not going to be a necessarily easy place to go into. The Jets are not a great team, but I also think going on the road in a division game, you know, first game on the road, first time that we see Mac Jones in a hostile environment, you know, I think that it's going to be something something to watch, definitely. Um, I think that defensively, the Patriots are really going to have to be on their toes because I think that you know, the Jets might also want to try to air the ball out. You know, I think that the Patriots played, I think, decent enough in terms of the secondary play. Sure that, you know, Jalen Mills got got um, exploited a few times when he was manipulated in one-on-one matchups. Um, and so I think, you know, there's a little concern there. But, you know, I thought that they played okay. You know, I thought that they played... The defense played well enough to win. They did a good job of, you know, holding the Dolphins to, you know, 17 points, which you should be able to win if you're holding teams to 17 points. Um, So, but I think going back to the Jets, like, I think they're going to try to air it out too. You know, they have a number of good 
kind of new acquisitions. Corey Davis had two touchdowns last week. Um, they have Elijah Moore, the rookie out of um, Ole Miss. Um, Denzel Mims as well. So I think that it's an offense that the Patriots might possibly have their hands full. But I'm hoping the Patriots secondary can get home and get to the quarterback, make things uncomfortable uh, for Zach Wilson. I thought the Patriots did do a good job from time to time in week one, getting to Tua and forcing him into some bad throws and some mistakes. Um, so that needs to that needs to happen again. You know, if the Patriots defense is going to have a good day. Um, so I think just looking at this game, the Patriots should be able to win this game. But I honestly said that about last week's game. You know, I didn't think that this was going to, it was going to be, well, I shouldn't say that I didn't think it was going to be as close as it was because I think I had it being a one possession game. Um, but I kind of just thought the Patriots playing at home might be a team that kind of goes in a second half run and, and takes the game away, which they didn't. Dolphins get the win 17-16. Um, I think this week in New York, I think you're seeing the Patriots score in the 20s. Um, I think that you're going to see Mac Jones air it out a little bit more, that they kind of open up the playbook a little bit more. Um, and again, I didn't have a problem with them going conservative in week one and you know, playing the type of offense that they did because I think that the matchup kind of called for that. But I think that you're going into a matchup against the Jets in which they are thin in the secondary. They have a lot of young guys in that in that position group, and I think that you want to try to take advantage of that. You know, whether that's throwing the ball deep or maybe that's throwing the ball over the middle, getting Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith even more involved than they were last week. I think that you could see one of those two things. I think we'd prefer to see both and see Mac Jones throwing the ball all, all over the yard, but I think it's really going to come down to establishing the run getting play action, and kind of getting into a rhythm, passing the ball, um, that's going to give the Patriots the most chance to be successful week two. I think Patriots get the win. I think you're seeing something like 27-17, to 27-19, something like that. Um, I think that they bounce back and get the win in the Meadowlands this weekend. Um, I think looking at the rest of week one, just kind of a quick reaction before we get to previews of week two, um, I think that you saw a number of a number of games that I think kind of surprised some people. Um, the Texans got a great win over the Jags in Week One. I think this was a game that I was not expecting. Trevor Lawrence really had a tough day at three interceptions. Um, did have three touchdowns, but I think the Texans. There's a lot to be said for um, this team that I think is going to be highly motivated this season. Because a lot of people, including myself, I don't think or think that they're not going to really do much this season. But good for them kind of having us against the world mentality. I don't expect that they're going to like go to the playoffs or like win seven games. But I still think like they're going to go out and be a team that's motivated to go out and win. Um, The Patriots do play them week five. So I think you want to be sure that you're very focused going into that game against them. Um, the Seahawks with a really quality win week one in Indianapolis, 28 to 16, Russell Wilson looking, uh, just as good as he always does with four touchdowns. That was a game that impressed me. I think the Seahawks are a team that a lot of people, including myself, are sleeping on them a little bit. Um, I don't have them making the playoffs, but they had a good week one win. I thought that Russell Wilson was good. I thought the defense was really solid. 
um, against the Colts offense that I think, you know, looks pretty solid. Or looks pretty solid on paper, but the Seahawks, I think, had a good defensive game in that one. Um, it is worth noting the Jets are coming off a loss last week in Carolina. Um, so I think that they also, like the Patriots, will be highly motivated. The Bengals win an overtime game. That was kind of an uh, that was kind of the upset of week one. A really quality win for Cincinnati, and Joe Burrow had the touchdown pass to Jamar Chase, which was pretty cool. The two of them were teammates at LSU. Evan McPherson kicks the game-winning field goal in overtime as time expired. I still have my thoughts about uh, overtime in the NFL that there should be, under no circumstances, any ties, but going to be what it's going to be. Um, I think the Cardinals had one of the most impressive wins in Week 1, 38-13 over the Titans. Uh, Kyler Murray was unstoppable. DeAndre Hopkins, two touchdowns. This is a really, really good performance by the Cardinals. Um, did a really good job defensively slowing down Derrick Henry and the Titans offense. The 49ers broke out with 41 points in Week 1 over Detroit. That was a game in which Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo both both saw a little bit of playing time. Uh, 41-33 the final there. Um, the game that I think most surprised me, Steelers and Bills in Buffalo. The Steelers get the win uh, thanks to a strong defensive second half. And they beat the Bills at home 23-16. to That was um, a game that definitely surprised me. I thought that Pittsburgh really brought their A game defensively and played incredibly well. Um, Eagles with the win over the Falcons. Uh, the Chiefs win uh, a crazy one in Kansas City over the Browns. I don't think the Browns really have any reason to be upset about that loss. You know, it's just Patrick Mahomes doing what he usually does. Uh, but the Browns really, I think, are building something solid over there. Um, the Rams beat the Bears 34-14 on Sunday Night Football. Uh, Justin Fields did it, did get into the game, got a rushing touchdown. So I'd be very curious to see when he does eventually get that uh, starting QB job, which I think is just going to happen um, eventually. And then the Raiders winning on Monday Night Football in an overtime game. That was a pretty wild one, if you ask me. Uh the Raiders, I think, honestly did not deserve to win that game the way that they, you know, kind of gave the game away in overtime with an interception. But they got the ball back. They scored Zay Flowers with a touchdown. Um, but good quality win for Vegas in week one. You know, I think that they're a team that definitely could surprise some people this season, um, especially with that offense. You know, Derek Carr, I think, to me, is still one of the most underrated players in the NFL. You know, I think that. Him with that offense, with Josh Jacobs, they added Kenyon Drake. They have Darren Waller, of course. You got Hunter Renfro, and then you got a guy like Brian Edwards, who I think is really primed to break out this season. Uh, you're going to be putting together, or you're going to see an offense that's going to be really good over the next couple of years. So um, I like what the Raiders are doing. That was a quality win. Good for them to get a win in their first game in Las Vegas with fans. Uh, 33-27 the final there. So... That being said, we'll get into previews for week two, starting with Thursday Night Football tonight. The Giants visit Washington at 8-20. Both of those teams coming off losses in week one. Uh, the Giants really struggled offensively in their game, as did Washington. Both of the teams struggled offensively in week one. The, uh, Washington losing Ryan Fitzpatrick. He'll be on IR for a little bit. Taylor Heineke will be 
starting quarterback who started in the wildcard game last year. Um, the Giants uh, just, again, struggled against the Denver defense all day. Um, in week one, be very curious to see what gives in this game. I think that it's very early, you know, week two, but I don't think either of these teams, you know, if they have any hope of being a relevant team, I think that they can't, neither of these teams can afford to fall to 0-2. Um, but I think Washington gets the win. I think that their defense uh, rebounds. Uh, Justin Herbert really was able to do pretty much anything in that win over Washington in week one. 20 to 16. So I like Washington at home, but I think this has the potential to be a very close game, much like the Thursday night game was last week. Um, so I already gave you guys my thoughts about the Patriots jets. I think the Patriots win. I think that they look a little bit better offensively. I think the ball security will be better. I think they force a couple turnovers, um, in this game and I think beat the jets in what may be a one-possession game, but it might end up being like a 9- or 10-point game. Um, But I do expect the Patriots to win on the road. Uh, Denver and Jacksonville. Denver coming off a pretty impressive win over the Giants. Jacksonville, obviously, with the tough loss to the Texans, in which uh, really nobody played well. Um, I expect Denver to win this game. I think that defensively, they got off to a good start in Week 1. I think that continues. Um, And I think Trevor Lawrence might have another tough game um, but I think it's still still early for him in that offense. You know, I think that it's probably going to take a little bit for them to figure things out. You know, Lawrence obviously supremely talented, but I think coming into the NFL with, you know, facing NFL defenses with a new head coach who's never coached in the NFL, I think that it's going to take a little bit of time for them to get going. So I like Denver on the road in this one. Uh, Buffalo and Miami. A pretty important AFC East matchup, um, as is the Patriots-Jets, I think, for the Patriots' sake. Um, Buffalo really needs to bounce back after a tough loss in Week 1, and then the Dolphins, you know, hope to continue that. Um, I like the Dolphins at home. I like what they were able to do offensively against the Patriots. They may not be able to move the ball as easily against Buffalo, specifically through the air, um, but I think that this is going to be a close game, and I think the Dolphins... Uh, make enough plays defensively to win this game. Uh, 49ers and the Eagles, this is going to be a good game. Both teams came off impressive wins in Week 1. The 49ers were really strong on offense, as were the Eagles. Uh, I think it really comes down to defense in this game. So I like San Francisco to beat the Eagles, but I do think this is going to be a good game. Uh, The Rams traveling to Indianapolis for Week 2. I think uh, the Rams looked very strong. In week one, the Colts didn't really defensively. Um, I think that this could be, I think this could be an old-fashioned slugfest type of game, kind of a similar score to the Patriots game. You know, maybe the game flows a little bit differently, but I do expect a score like that, like 19 to 16, 17 to 14, something like that. Um, But I think the Rams make enough plays and the Colts drop to 0-2. Just talking about Vegas. They will play the Steelers, both teams coming off big wins in week one. I think Pittsburgh um, looked, you know, I think they looked a little bit lost on offense for the majority of the game. I think they were able to win that Buffalo game because of their defense. Um, But I think Vegas comes into Pittsburgh and uh, gets a win and, you know, goes to 0-2 and has a lot of people around the league talking. Uh, Cincinnati and Chicago... 
Joe Burrow against maybe Justin Fields. We'll see what uh, the Bears decide to do, decide to do. I really liked what Cincinnati and Joe Burrow was a, were able to do offensively um, in Week One. The Bears obviously had a tough time against Stafford and the Rams in Week One, um, so I like Cincinnati to improve to two and zero. Houston and Cleveland. I think that Cleveland definitely needs a uh, pick-me-up game, but you know Houston again. I think is going to be highly motivated uh, coming into Cleveland, but I do expect the Browns to get their first win of the season. The NFC South will have a couple of division games this weekend. New Orleans and Carolina will play. Um, I think the Saints get the win. I really liked what they were able to do offensively. Um, Carolina, you know, I think that Sam Darnold looked pretty good, but I think you're going to be going up against a New Orleans defense that is going to be very hungry even after that beatdown of the Packers in week one. Um, Minnesota and Arizona will play starting the four o'clock window. Um, Arizona, again, really impressed with what they were able to do. Um, So I think they get the win at home. I think Minnesota makes it an interesting game, but I think Kyler Murray just is going to be too good uh, for the Vikings defense. I like Arizona in this one. Uh, Tampa Bay and Atlanta, not really going to spend much time here. I think Tampa Bay wins this uh, rather easily. Uh, Tennessee and Seattle will play at 425. Uh, Tennessee really, really needs to pick me up in this game, but I think Seattle uh, will build off of their week one win and improve to 2-0. and Dallas and the Chargers, I think this is going to be a potential game of the week. I think you're going to see some wild, uh, wild offensive numbers in this game. I think you're going to see a shootout. Um, I think Dallas wins. I think they make enough plays um, down the stretch offensively and win like 37-34. to 34. I think you see something like that. Um, and then speaking of shootouts... The Sunday night game is a doozy. The Chiefs and the Ravens. Um, oh, man. Anytime you get to see Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson on the same field, um, it's just so much fun. So um, I think you're also going to see a high-scoring game in this one. Uh, Baltimore's defense really struggled against the Raiders. They struggled against the Raiders. They're definitely going to struggle against Kansas City. Um, but I do think Baltimore makes this a good game but it's just hard to bet against the Chiefs um, offensively. So I think the Chiefs get the win. And then Monday night, Green Bay and Detroit really uh, must win for Green Bay in this one. Um, I think they get the job done, but I do think Detroit makes it a little bit of a game. Um, So you have a lot of really interesting games in week two. You know, I think a lot of teams that are hoping to build off of their good week one wins and that a couple teams, including the Packers, that I think really want to turn the page on week one and, you know, improve and get a win so that, you know, there needs so that there can be uh, less conversation about the team, you know, uh, about a team falling to 0-2. You know, I think Buffalo is another team that really can't afford to drop to 0-2. Um, but I would arguably say the Patriots are another team that I think if they really want to be serious about making the playoffs and possibly winning the division – you really can't afford to fall to 0-2. I think they really need to get this win, uh, which is why they really need to improve on the areas that they you know, were not strong in in week one in terms of discipline and ball security. I mean, those are really two of the key things that um, help you win in the NFL. You know, I think those are really two key areas that the Patriots are typically very strong in. So I think that uh, you see a rebound with them this week. Um, a couple of new, a couple of news 
bits from around the league. The Ravens are promoting Devontae Freeman to their active roster. Obviously, they had a number of players go down in practice last week and in training camp with season-ending injuries. So um, the Ravens certainly very depleted in the running back area, so Devontae Freeman will help that. Um, They also had signed Latavius Murray uh, last week as well. So hopefully the Ravens can get uh, some consistent play out of those guys. Uh, Marcus Mariota will be out a couple weeks for the for the Raiders, um, and uh, for the Cowboys, Demarcus Lawrence suffered a broken foot in practice yesterday, so he'll be out for about six weeks. Uh, in terms of Saquon Barkley, uh, he's questionable for tonight's game. Uh, played a little bit against the Broncos, but really was not much of a factor. Uh, Broncos played a good defensive game in this in that one, so. I think that that's probably it for for football. Uh, you can catch the Giants in Washington tonight on Thursday night football at eight twenty on the NFL Network. So I think we'll move on to baseball. Talk a little bit. Talk a little bit about the Red Sox had uh, a really important had really important wins the last two nights or the last two games in Seattle. Um, eight to four the other night, and then nine to four yesterday. The Red Sox are off uh, tonight as they travel back home to welcome the Orioles to to Fenway. But you know, really important win for the Red Sox. Really important win for them yesterday, as they could take the series in C- or, uh, in Seattle. You know, the Mariners are a team that's kind of ch- that are chasing them. In the wild card standings, we'll take a look at them in a moment. But you know, as I said last week, it's just hard to expect a lot of consistency from this team, um, especially what you've seen kind of since since the All Star break. You know, you've seen a team that I think, when they're presently constituted, and you look at that offense, you know, they can really compete with anyone. Um, but I think with Kind of just the uncertainty with certain guys in the bullpen, you know, whether COVID's had an had uh, an impact on that, which it has, you know, in terms of certain guys being available, or just the general effectiveness or ineffectiveness of certain guys, um, that it's really just kind of become you don't know what you're going to get from this team. But I will say, you know, a 500 road trip is not something to be super upset about. You know, you played a White Sox team. Uh, which I think a lot of people has going deep in the playoffs this year. Uh, you know, you win one of those games, you drop the other two. You know, all three of those games were one-run games. One of those was a walk-off walk-off loss. Um, but then you had a couple wins in Seattle, including a really big, important one yesterday. You know, that I think gives the team some confidence heading into their final homestand of the season. Kind of can't believe we're saying that, but. Um, it's a really obviously incredibly important homestand. You know, the Red Sox are currently in a virtual tie with the Yankees and the Blue Jays for the wild card spot. So, you know, it's going to be a really important homestand. Red Sox do play the Yankees next week, I believe. Um, but I think getting Chris Sale back is going to be huge. I believe that he's scheduled to pitch tomorrow night um, as he'll be back off of the COVID list. Uh, Nick Pavetta also came off the COVID list last weekend um, and pitched a pretty strong game against the White Sox. Uh, they ended up losing 2-1. to one. That was uh, Sunday afternoon's walk-off loss. Um, but I think that 
Hopefully the Red Sox can continue to get good starting pitching. You're seeing some more consistent pitching from Eduardo Rodriguez. Nathan Avaldi has been really, really strong over the last couple of weeks. So starting pitching-wise, I think you're starting to get into a bit of a rhythm. But, you know, offensively, you've had guys out here and there. You know, you've lost some leads thanks to the bullpen. You know, it's just hard to expect, I think, consistent play from this Red Sox team, which is unfortunate because I think early on in the year, they just were a lot of fun to watch. Um, but it's it's part of baseball. You just got to grind. And I think, you know, these next um, 15, 16 games, whatever it is, you know, is really going to kind of tell us what this team is going to be and kind of define the rest of their season. You know, whether they, you know, fold and miss the playoffs or do they go to the playoffs, you know, get in that wild card wild card game and win and then you never know what happens from there um, but I think that it's important that you're getting the starting pitching that I think you expected and you got in the early part of the year but I think now it's just kind of the rest of the the, the game that has to fill out um, but obviously huge road trip or um, huge homestand coming up as they have three against the Orioles um, and then we will take a look at the schedule in a moment um, but I think one of the players that's been really fun to watch over the last couple of weeks and months has been Bobby Dahlbeck. You know, he's a guy that uh, struggled for the majority of this season, but something has changed in him, and he has been, you know, hitting the lights out and has been really, really good, really consistent for the Red Sox. You know, I think that defensively, sometimes he leaves a little bit to be desired, and he kind of doesn't really look, you know, natural at that first pace position. But I think that. You know, it's it's a better idea to have him there than Kyle Schwarber, who's had a tough time, you know, adjusting to playing first base. Um, but I think it's been great to see, you know, Bobby was a guy that obviously came in last year and lit the world on fire, hit, you know, eight home runs in like the 40 games that he played, you know, which was pretty crazy. Um, but I think that obviously pitchers kind of figured him out a little bit this season, and he really struggled, you know, struggled to stay above 200 You know, obviously there were rumors that maybe he, or not rumors, but like a lot of people thinking that maybe he should get sent down. Um, But I don't know. He's just figured something out and he's been, you know, probably has been their best player over the last couple of weeks. You know, Hunter Renfro has also, you know, turned it on over the last couple of weeks. He's had an amazing season. Hit his 28th home run yesterday. You know, as a guy that, you know, there's an outside chance that he could hit 30 home runs and drive in 100 RPIs, which I don't think anyone saw coming, you know, when he signed that $10 million deal uh, for one year, people were like, oh, you know, he's just going to be one of those kind of, not not a platoon player, but someone that you're signing and you're not expecting a lot from, and lo and behold, he put together, you know, start to finish is, you know, an all-star season. Um, so obviously he's been a welcome addition um, this season, and then Schwarber, you know, while he's not been, he's not been anything to write home about defensively. He's had a number of big hits, um, including an RBI single in the tenth inning last night. So, you know, I think that offensively, you're starting to see guys really improve hitting. But I think it's the bullpen; it really starts and ends with that, and that really kind of determines what your what their success is going to be down the stretch and maybe into the playoffs. You know, if it if it improves and it pitches the way that people expect it to, this team could go very far. But if it doesn't, you know, they're not going to the playoffs. And, you know, you could have 
a collapse over the next few games. But I think it's, uh, considering where we thought this team was going to be, it's pretty amazing that you're going to see this team play, you know, important, very important games over the next two weeks, you know, and you're going to have a lot of scoreboard watching, which, you know, it's not, it's not super fun. It's a lot, uh, it's a lot more, you know, nerve wracking than it sounds, but I think it's at least good to know that the Red Sox will be playing these types of games, you know, in September and challenging for a playoff spot and maybe going there. Um, but, you know, good on the Red Sox for winning the last two in Seattle, you know, tough place to play, tough place to play on the road. Um, but the Red Sox will welcome the Orioles to Fenway for three games. Um, and then we'll take a quick look at the rest of their schedule. Red Sox sit at 83 and 65, uh, 14 games to go. So uh, Baltimore, they will play two games against the Mets early next week. And then they will play the Yankees for a three-game set at Fenway. Um, and that will close out their home schedule this season. And then they will travel to Baltimore and to Washington to close out the season. So, you know, other than playing the Yankees, it's not a super tough schedule. You play Baltimore six more times, you play Washington three times, and you play the Mets twice. So, you know, it's not a terribly difficult schedule. You know, I think some other teams might have more difficult schedules, but, you know, you got a Baltimore team that you've done pretty well against this season. Um, and hopefully that can continue. Red Sox uh, swept the Orioles in their last matchup. Um, is there, in, in their last matchup when they visited Fenway um, about a month ago, August 13th to the 15th. So the Red Sox definitely hoping to take advantage of these games. Uh, 7-10 pitch tonight, or 7-10 pitch tomorrow, and then 1-10 on Saturday and on Sunday. So... I think, again, over the last 14 games, it's going to be very interesting to see what kind of Red Sox team we get. Because I think that, obviously, I think for for most of the season, we had come to expect that they were going to be a good, consistent team, you know, on top of the American League East. But, you know, they kind of came down to earth. And I think that it's unfortunate that it happened. But I think it's at least a positive the Red Sox haven't completely nosedived and that they're not, like, totally out of the playoff chase. You know, they're right in the thick of it. Um, So I think I may have misunderstood. I think Sale comes off the COVID list tomorrow. I don't know if he pitches, um, because Pavetta is the scheduled starter. So uh, Red Sox 3-3 and on the road trip. You know, really the last tough road trip of the season. You know, they go to Baltimore and to D.C. to close out the season. But... You know, Red Sox really have to take advantage of these eight home games. I think you got to win at least six of these games, and I think you got to win at least two against the Yankees. So, you know, it's going to be a very interesting homestand, but the Red Sox get it started with three against the Orioles uh, tomorrow night. So taking a look at the rest of Major League Baseball, taking a look at some notes, uh, Mike Trout will not return to play uh, for the rest of the season. Uh, Joe Madden said that he would be surprised if uh, Trout was able to return. Um, He's been out since May um, and has not played a game since then. Um, Ryan Braun announced his retirement the other day. um, And you have a couple of games this afternoon, Rockies and Braves in a rain delay, and the Reds and Pirates just getting underway in the first inning. 
Um, so taking a look at the standings as we have, believe it or not, we have two weeks left in the baseball season. Um, not much has changed in the American League East. Tampa Bay still with an eight-game lead over the Red Sox, Yankees, and Blue Jays. So uh, Tampa Bay, definitely you'll be looking at some magic number uh, things. Or you'll be looking at their magic number to clinch the division, um, I think, in the next week or so. As you know, none of the Red Sox, Yankees, or Blue Jays are really going to make that much of a uh, make that much of a difference. I think in the in the last two weeks of the season um, in the East, um, in the Central, it's actually even more of a, a lead for the White Sox as they are up on the up on Cleveland by eleven and a half games. So their uh, magic number must be getting pretty low at this point. Um, the Astros have taken control of the West. They're seven games up on the Oakland Athletics and seven and a half up on the Seattle Mariners, in which the Red Sox took two or three from uh, just the last few days. In the East, Atlanta has maintained their lead over the over the Philly. Almost said the Eagles. Uh, they've maintained their lead over the Phillies. Uh, three and a half games in first place. The Braves sit at seventy six and sixty eight. Philadelphia three and a half back, and then the Mets are five and a half back, and the Red Sox will welcome them to Fenway next week. The Brewers are up by twelve and a half games over the Cardinals, so their magic number is getting pretty small as they are up twelve and a half games over the Cardinals. I just said that. Um, at 89 and 57. Um, and then in the West, the Giants and the Padres, Giants and the Dodgers have both clinched playoff berths. Uh, so the Giants, a game and a half lead over the Dodgers. So both of those teams are going to the playoffs. Um, one of those teams will win the division, and then the other one will uh, go in the wild card, which is kind of unfortunate that there's a possibility one of those teams could lose uh, very early. And then as you take a look at the wild card standings, obviously we mentioned that the uh, Red Sox, Yankees, and Blue Jays are all tied for the wild card spots. Um, so, you know, first and second, and then the and then the, for the next team out. Um, if this stays the same, then you would see a playoff between the second and third place team, and then the winner would play the first place team. Um, in the wild card. So, for example, if, you know, Toronto, or actually, I don't know, if all three teams ended up tied, I'm not sure what the, like, tiebreak would be that, like, oh, who would be the first place team and then who would be forced to play. Uh, but, yeah, then there would be a playoff and then and then a playoff. So it would get pretty crazy. But anyway, those three teams are tied. The A's are three and a half back, and then the Mariners are four back. So, uh, both of those teams are fairly, pretty far back in the loss column at this point. But obviously, a lot can change. So the Yankees and the Blue Jays, I don't, I believe just the Yankees are playing tonight at 5 o'clock um, against the Orioles. So if the Yankees are able to win this evening, um, then they would be in the, fir- in the first place wildcard spot by half a game. In the National League, obviously the Dodgers in position right now. As, this, as the first wild card, but they've clinched a playoff berth. Um, the Cardinals are currently in the second spot, uh, just a game in front of the Padres, game and a half in front of the Reds, 
three in front of the Phillies, and then five in front of the Mets. So that probably does it for baseball. Red Sox, obviously, 14 games left. You know, we'll see. We'll see what happens with the wild card standings um, and where they end up. It'll keep you guys updated uh, next week, as I can't believe that baseball season's uh, almost over. It seemed like just yesterday we had um, Eric Bellier in to talk about the, um, you know, opening day and things like that. So it'll be interesting to see. So I'll keep you updated. So I think we're going to hop into the Bruins now. Uh, it's uh, getting close to training camp. You know, I mentioned at the, at the top of the podcast that um, both sports, there you have two sports, basketball and hockey, that are uh, right around the corner. Training camps are, are uh, getting underway or getting very close to getting underway. Um, the Bruins do have a rookie camp that has gotten underway over the last couple of days. I think the first day was yesterday. Um, so it is kind of similar to the uh, development camp. The only difference is that these guys, uh, most of these players, are going are going to be playing in uh, Providence and may have a chance to play in Boston. Um, and so. It's a uh, pros- there's a prospect challenge as well. So uh, teams of the Bruins, Devils, and Sabers um, will play exhibition games against each other this weekend. Um, so rookie camp is just three practices, and then the games on Saturday and Sunday. Bruins have had yesterday to practice. They practice today, and then they will practice in Buffalo tomorrow before their. Uh, first game of the challenge against the Sabres at 3 o'clock on Saturday afternoon. Um, So Bruins will be competing against a couple of other teams. Uh, So some names that, you know, you might know from following Providence, you might see them in Boston. Uh, Matt Philippe, Jesper Froden, Curtis Hall, uh, Brett Harrison is on the roster, one of their picks from this year's draft. Obviously, Fabian Lysel is on there as well. Um, Jakob Lauko is also on there. He may potentially challenge for a roster spot this season. I guess I would be very surprised, but he'll definitely uh, be someone to watch in Providence. Uh, as far as the defensemen, Jack Ashan will be playing uh, Brady Lyle um, and Ryan Mast, who was a sixth-round pick for the Bruins this past draft. And then Kyle Kieser uh, will be a goalie who will likely see a lot of time in Providence this season. Um, you know, Ashan is a guy that played a little, a couple of games in Boston last season when the Red Sox or when, when the Bruins were pretty shorthanded defensively. So uh, you'll probably see him play the majority of the year in Providence. May get called up to Boston to play a couple of games, but he will definitely be there um, for Bruins training camp. I think most of these guys will be there for the regular training camp. Um, Oscar Steen is also another name, Bruins draft pick from a couple of years ago. Um, so I think it'll be definitely an interesting rookie camp. You know, I'm hoping that the games are going to be available to watch or to stream this weekend as the Bruins play Buffalo on Saturday and then New Jersey on Sunday. Kind of hope that these games uh, will be worth watching. I think just a couple guys to that are worth watching. I think Frodan is someone to be watching. Um, Bruins signed him soon after they got eliminated by the Islanders um, in June. So I think... You know, he's an interesting guy because he's 26. You know, he's not as young as some of these guys 
um, had played professionally, I think, in, in Sweden. I believe he had played professionally in Sweden for a couple of years. Um, so at 26, you know, he's at a little bit more of an advantage just in terms of being a little bit more of a, a seasoned player, so to speak, uh, but obviously has not played in the NHL. You know, none of these guys have seen NHL playing time except for Ashan. Um, and Curtis Hall is someone that could challenge for ice time on the fourth line, specifically, I think, if guys uh, get hurt. And I think that he's someone that I think could make a little bit of an impact. You know, Ashan, I think, will probably play a couple games with the Bruins this season. Brady Lyles, also another name. Uh, defenseman, he might see a couple games as well if there are injuries uh, that creep up for the Bruins. So I think, you know, thinking about Bruins training camp that starts next week, uh, Bruins will have off-ice testing next Wednesday, and then next Thursday, a week from today, they will hit the ice. So hopefully we might have some updates for you guys um, next Thursday when the Bruins officially open training camp uh, for drills and things like that. So I think looking ahead to that, you know, and thinking about some guys to watch, I think that um, a guy that I've talked about plenty on this podcast and have kind of been hard on um, is Jake DeBrusque. I think that this training camp is going to be very important for him, you know, and important for him to prove that he can still be a player on this roster and come in motivated and playing with some new line mates. And hopefully he can kind of get last year and get the last couple of years kind of out of his system. Um, and we can see a, a new and improved Jake DeBrusque. Uh, Jack Stadnika is also another player to watch. You know, he's kind of at this point is a little bit of an odd man out, um, with this roster, you're not to say that, oh, like he's not going to be here. Um, but I think that, you know, looking at the roster and looking at that third line center spot, which, you know, most likely is where he would slide in. You know, if he does make that, um, it's kind of crowded. You know, you have Eric Halla that you signed in the offseason, Nick Felino, Both of those guys can play center. Both of those guys are, you know, proven NHL players. Jack's not really a proven NHL player yet. You know, I think that. We've seen flashes, and we've seen him be really good. It's good to hear that he's put on a little bit of weight. You know, hopefully he can work. Um, he can work really hard, show the coaching staff that he, you know, deserves a spot on this Bruins team, and he very well could. You know, he's someone that I think, you know, could really help himself with more time in the AHL. But I also think it might make sense for the Bruins to keep him up as kind of an extra forward, so he can kind of get some important ice time that I think he really needs this season. But then again, Bruins aren't just going to give him ice time, you know, and that's something that I think might frustrate some people that think that, okay, you need to give him ice time because he's a young, promising player. But at the same time, you can't just give someone ice time just because they're young and they're a developing player. Yes, I understand the argument, but at the same time, the Bruins aren't just going to, aren't just going to give him playing time. They're not just going to, allow someone just to get ice time without earning it. So I think he'll be someone to watch. You know, I think that uh, defensively, Connor Clifton is really going to be, I think, asked to do a lot this season and, you know, stay healthy and kind of be kind of a little bit of a backbone on that on that defensive unit. You know, really have no concerns with McAvoy, really have no concerns with, with Matt Grizzlick or Brandon Carlo. You know, I think that the Bruins are pretty set and pretty deep defensively. Um, and then Linus Olmark will definitely be someone to keep an eye on. Um, in camp, Swayman as well, you know, is the Bruins' 
maybe decide who will be that number one goalie. You know, I think Olmark probably will be that guy. Um, and then, you know, whenever Tuka Rask does return at some point this season, you'd think that they'd send Swayman down, but you never know. So I think just a couple players to keep your eye on. You know, I don't think that really have any other players to keep an eye on. You know, I think, as I wrote an article about Charlie Coyle yesterday, I think he's another person that um, you want to keep your eye on this season. I think in camp, obviously, it makes sense. But I think, you know, at the same time, a lot of these guys, like Bergeron, like Marchand, like Coyle, like Taylor Hall, Craig Smith, you're not going to really see them play a lot or, you know, be used a lot in the preseason games. They're probably not going to go, you know, super hard in training camp, you know, just because they think that they recognize that they need to kind of save their legs for the season. Um, And so you might not see them play a lot of preseason games. You might see them play one or two or three. Um, Bruins, I believe, have six preseason games. So we'll um, update you guys on that next week. Um, But I think Coyle, you know, going back to him, I think that he's someone, as I wrote yesterday, you know, I really think is going to be the key to the Bruins season, you know, whether that's, he performs really well and the Bruins don't really miss Krejci a lot. You know, I know that that's asking a lot. Um, and the Bruins go really deep in the playoffs and maybe even compete for a championship. You know, I think that that's your best case scenario. If Charlie really performs the way that, the way that everyone in the organization wants him to, um, you know, worst case scenario, he struggles again and doesn't really, take to that second line center role and the Bruins have to go out and trade for someone or, you know, they put someone else in there. So I'm thinking that he will improve this season. I think that it's hard to be worse than he was last year with the 16 points. Obviously he was dealing with a little bit of a knee issue the last couple of years. Um, So hopefully that helps. But as I said in the article, I mean, I think that, you know, you consider some of the guys that he played with last year, on the third line, they weren't really consistent. You know, it's... Or consistent in terms of, like, he wasn't playing with the same guys the whole year. Like, he started off the year playing with Craig Smith, and then the Bruins moved Craig Smith to the second line toward the end of the year. Um, And it ended up being a really good line with Krejci, Smith, and Taylor Hall. Um, But I think if Coyle's going to be on that second unit playing with Hall and Smith, it gives him two elite wingers. You know, in terms of the Bruins roster... Not in the NHL. Like, Craig Smith's not an elite winger. I kind of think Taylor Hall still kind of is. But you give him two kind of bona fide wingers that I think you're not going to... You're going to go into every game knowing what you're going to get from those two. You know, it's hard to expect that consistency. Or I shouldn't say it like that, but, like, you couldn't find the consistency. Or Coyle couldn't find... or. The wingers that played with Coyle last season on the third line couldn't find that consistency. I don't think you're going to have a problem with Hall and Smith on that second line. So I think that, you know, Charlie is going to be able to produce a lot more points than he did last season. Um, But, you know, whatever that number is, it's going to have to be near to what Krejci produced for you last season. 44 points, I think, in the regular season. You know, I think for Coyle, in an 82-game season, you're going to need him to score between like 50 and 60 points like he's going to need to be there you know if he's going to remain on that second line um, and kind of give the Bruins the most dangerous look that they can have you know because if he performs well that gives you two 
really good performing lines. And then you have a bottom six that I think is much improved from last season. There's a lot more consistency, a lot more guys that can play at the NHL level and can consistently give you effort and play smart. You know, I think Felina Halla and um, Thomas Nosek, you know, I think are really going to be important players for the Bruins if you know those, those first two lines, you know, end up performing really well. You know, I think that those those bottom two lines could end up being really important. And I think going back to DeBrusque, if he's going to start the season on that third line left wing, I think it's great that you can give him some wingers or some players like Halla and Felino, two guys that have been around um, and have played for multiple teams at the NHL level and have been, you know, always been two really good, consistent players. I mean, they're not, you know, Felino's not the guy that he used to be, but I think that he still has tremendous value in terms of that leadership. So I think you could see a, a more motivated, a more confident Jake DeBrusque this season, um, you know, going into more of the Bruins players. But uh, Coyle definitely is going to be asked to do a lot this season. So uh, definitely keep an eye on him during the early part of the season. Um, so obviously uh, the Bruins will have the prospects challenge this weekend play a couple of games against Buffalo, New Jersey, play a couple of games against their, you know, young stars, and then training camp will open next week. So taking a look at the rest of the NHL, uh, it was just announced today that Toronto and Buffalo will play in the Heritage Classic in March. So that will be an outdoor game um, in Hamilton, Ontario, I believe. Um, not really much else. You know, Connor McDavid, I think, made a couple comments about the Oilers, that their time is now to compete. So um, that will be, they'll be an interesting team to follow this season. Um, Kaprizov's talks with the Wild are pretty slow at the moment. So they're trying to work on a new contract. Um, Adam Fox was quoted as saying that expectations are higher for him this season. The Rangers uh, defenseman who won the Norris Trophy, you know, I think that the Rangers are a team that they're kind of under a lot of pressure this season to, uh, perform and try to get back to the playoffs. Um, have a team with Gerard Gallant that I think is a great match for that team. But I think that, you know, until you start to see production from that team, the questions are still going to be, are still going to be the same. That like, there's still going to be concerns about them until they kind of perform and produce on perform and produce on a, on a consistent level. Um, so I think that's probably, you know, it for hockey. We're kind of stretching it out a little bit. Um, TNT did announce some of the broadcast teams that will be working the games this season. I think that Wayne Gretzky was announced as a studio analyst, which is great for the game. Uh, great to have him there. Um, and then a couple of announcers from NBC are coming over, I believe, uh, Brendan Burke and uh, Kenny Albert. Wow, I can't believe I almost forgot his name. Um, but it will be very interesting. You know, I've said this throughout the summer that it's going to be very interesting to see the game presentations uh, with ESPN and TNT, the you know two new uh, broadcast uh, partners of the NHL that will be for the next seven years. I think that it's going to be very interesting to see what uh, what the game looks like, how it looks different. Uh, to NBC, it may sound similar to NBC as a number of 
um, announcers will still be working games, but um, I think that it's going to be great for the game. I think it's really going to be something that's going to going to help elevate the game into more of kind of a mass consciousness, if that makes sense. You know, I think getting it into the heads of more casual hockey fans that you know watch ESPN and watch Sports Center and see highlights and see games and think, oh, maybe this is a sport I want to get into. So um, hopefully that can do good things for the league. I'm really looking forward to it. And then with the Seattle Kraken, you know, they got their first game um, that first night of the season on, on ESPN against Vegas. I think that that will be a game that will be very interesting to watch from um, just kind of a presentation standpoint in terms of the broadcast, you know, and then what you see with the game. So I think shaping up to be a really exciting season uh, for the NHL, obviously with the Heritage Classic being announced, with Seattle being back, you know, new broadcast, broadcast, um, or new stations that will broadcast the NHL. I don't know why that took me a while to say that, but looking forward to it for the NHL. So we'll move on, talk a little bit about the NBA. Not a whole lot that's going on uh, as training camps are getting closer. Um, Aaron Gordon and the Nuggets agreed to a new contract extension, uh, four years for $92 million. Uh, Rockets and John Wall are working to find a trade, so you could, could see him um, getting dealt at some point. Um, the NBA Players Association, I think, saying that they're, or the, the league is not going to require players um, to get vaccinated, but they're pretty much requiring team employees to get to get vaccinated, so... You know, hopefully that doesn't create too much of an issue, but I honestly think like there should be motivation among the players to get vaccinated. Um, so yeah, I don't really know what the what the issue is there. Um, not really going to get into it to be perfectly honest, but um, it's something that you know players really should be doing without thinking. Um, the Bucks making an announcement that Lisa Byington will be there. Um, play-by-play announcer this season. Um, so that's pretty interesting. I believe that she is the first um, female play-by-play announcer in the four major sports. So that's uh, exciting. So she will be the new play-by-play announcer on Valley Sports Wisconsin. Um, so that will be, that, that's really exciting. You know, I think it's about time that we're seeing, you know, more women get involved on the broadcast side. Because that's a field that's, you know, always been, I think, dominated by, by males. But I think that you want to get more of, a, more of a different perspective, you know. And I think that that's really important. And I think especially for a game like basketball that, you know, you're seeing more and more of, you know, WNBA players, you know, getting more in the spotlight, you know. And then even at the Hall of Fame, you know, you had a couple of... Um, female pioneers that were inducted over the over the weekend you know whether they were players whether they were you know general managers or people that helped in the front office or things like that and kind of were pioneers for the game so obviously congratulations to lisa for being that first pioneer so looking forward to hearing some of her her highlights you know obviously i don't live in wisconsin so not really going to be able to listen to any of the games but hopefully we can hear some uh, highlights on on Sports Center on social media. So good, good for Lisa. Really um, excited for that. So speaking of the Hall of Fame, there were a couple of uh, you may you may have heard 
may have heard that there are a couple of players that were uh, inducted last weekend. Uh, ben Wallace, Chris Bosch, um, Bob Dandridge, um, Yolanda Griffith, the WNBA superstar, uh, Chris Weber, obviously, and then uh, Paul Pierce, which is uh, still a very, very special person to a lot of us here in Boston uh, that you know grew up watching the Celtics. So it was really neat to see Paul get um, some recognition that I think he's deserved for a really long time. You know, I think that he is someone that definitely deserves a lot of recognition for sticking with the Celtics and sticking with the organization, you know, through a lot of tough times, you know, going through a head coaching change, you know, going through a couple years where the Celtics were, you know, historically bad. And um, I think Paul deserves a lot of credit for sticking around and he sticks around and lo and behold, the Celtics put together you know, the big three, they win a championship, they come pretty close um, two years later, you know, and I think that um, Paul deserves a lot of credit for sticking with the Celtics and, you know, dealing with a lot of things that happened kind of throughout the course of his career, but uh, it was just really neat to see him get recognized. You know, Paul is one of my uh, sports heroes growing up. You know, the Celtics were a team that I loved watching, you know, back in the day. Um, I still love watching to this day, you know, still have memories of watching Paul Pierce, you know, hitting buzzer beaters with Mike and Tommy doing the announcing. Um, Just, you know, always been some of my favorite sports memories are, you know, going to Celtics games and seeing Paul Pierce or, you know, watching games on TV and seeing him just hitting clutch shot after clutch shot, you know. Uh, one of my favorite Paul Pierce games, you know, a lot of people are going to say this, was the uh, Game 7 against LeBron in 2008, in which, you know, Paul really kind of rescued the Celtics in that game. Uh, 41 points. The Celtics go on to win the championship that season. Um, it just was a really special game, really special to see, you know, Paul finally able to kind of perform on a big stage like that. Not that he hadn't performed on big stages like that in the playoffs before, but it just was like, This was the first time that the Celtics had a legitimate shot to win an NBA championship. And so I think, you know, that game always is special to me. But, you know, all the moments um, of Paul's career, I think, were just always special. And that he did most of them in the Celtics uniform and, you know, hit his final shot at the TD Garden, you know, a three. That was like one of the most awesome sports moments I've ever witnessed. You know, Celtics up like eight points against the Clippers, Isaiah Thomas just lets Paul shoot and he drills it. And it just was like, you can't script a better, a better ending like that. So um, congratulations, Paul. And, you know, thank you for everything you did uh, for the Celtics organization. And you did for me as a uh, young basketball fan and uh, young sports fan growing up. So I think we're done with basketball there's really not a whole lot else going on you know training camps will start in a couple weeks Celtics will have their first preseason game on October 4th Uh, so the Celtics will have training camp leading up to the preseason games Um, and then the season opens I believe October 20th against the Knicks Um, so I think you know as we get closer to Celtics training camp I think we'll detail some guys to watch um, in training camp and then as the preseason games start uh, but I think that I have a, you know, kind of some some optimism with this team. 
uh, this season are Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, you know, hopefully taking another step. And the Celtics really, I think, doing a good job this offseason of, you know, filling out the rest of their roster, filling out their bench. Um, and I think making, putting together a team that may not be as talented as years past, but I think a team that's going to play hard um, every night, you know, with a new coach. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, so I think to close out, we'll give you guys a little bit of uh, a revolution update, the revolution getting uh, some revenge against NYCFC last week with a 2-1 win. Tejon Buchanan back in the lineup, scoring the go-ahead goal in the 65th minute. And the Rebs get another win. And they uh, just continue to breeze through the rest of the MLS and I think might be on pace for setting a um, MLS record in terms of points and, and wins. Uh, so the Revolution, 14 points ahead of second place Nashville in the Eastern Conference. And I believe our, I think the last I checked, they were eight points ahead of the... Um, no, they are nine points. Nine points ahead of Sporting KC in the Western Conference of the Revolution in the lead for the Supporters' Shield, which is uh, the trophy that gets awarded to the team with the most uh, points during the season. So the Revolution with the win over NYC. Um, it was good to see a couple of guys returning from international duty, including Tejan Buchanan. Matt Turner was back. Adam Buxa was also back. Um, he's been doing incredibly well for the Poland national team um, in some of their qualifying games. So that was good to see him return. Uh, Revolution do have Carlos Hedl back, you know, still kind of dealing with the after effects of the, um, I think it was a sports hernia that he was out with, uh, but he's back. Revolution will host Columbus on Saturday at seven. Uh, Revolution obviously losing to Columbus last year in the conference final. Uh, Columbus is kind of battling for a playoff spot at the moment, so this could be an interesting game for the Revs, but really good to see the returns of some of these guys. Um, you know, Tejan's someone that obviously got a, a deal to play overseas in Belgium, you know, once this season is over. So I think the Revolution really owe it to him and owe it to the rest of the team to try to, you know, put together a season to remember, you know, uh, Supporter Shield and hopefully an, an MLS championship that, you know, the Revolution have been, you know, it's been it's been very elusive, you know, and I think it's just kind of amazing to to think about what has changed in the last two three years when they really were the furthest away you could be from you know an MLS championship and lo and behold you bring in a couple of really talented players you bring in Bruce Arena and you know the whole culture of this team has changed, you know, and I think that it's really a credit to what Bruce Arena has done, but it's a credit to, you know, what the players have done and, you know, how they've been able to come together as a team and come together really quickly. You know, you have a lot of guys that have been on this team for a long time. You know, Andrew Farrell, Scott Caldwell, um, are a couple guys that have been with this team for a really long time. And I think, you know, speaks to, especially Andrew's, you know, leadership that he's been here and, is someone that has been very, you know, well-respected in that locker room and someone that I think has been through a lot and seen a lot. And, you know, this team just, something about it just has a really good kind of, um, good sense of togetherness. You know, Teal Bunbury also is another guy that's been here for a really long time. 
um, has been a very seasoned, experienced MLS veteran. Um, so I think, you know, obviously you bring in a new coach, you bring in new players, but that doesn't work unless you have a group in the locker room that's willing to buy in. And I think you've really seen that this season with a lot of really good performances that the Revolution have had. Um, and I think especially in the last two games, when you've missed a number of key players, when you have guys like uh, Boateng and Edward Kizza who have come in and not really played a lot during the season, but have come in and been really impact players for the team. So hopefully the good times just keep rolling for the Revolution. Uh, 7 o'clock against Columbus uh, tonight, the Revolution after the game, or 7 o'clock on Saturday, excuse me, after that game, uh, the Revolution will have eight more games. Their final regular season game is November 7th against Miami. So, you know, things continue to be really dominant for the Revolution, so hopefully that continues with the match at home against Columbus on Saturday. So, uh, that being said, we will move on. We'll talk a little bit about college football. Um, a couple of pretty uh, big wins for uh, two teams that are two teams that are new to the top five. Um, Oregon in fourth and Iowa in fifth. Both of those teams had pretty significant jumps in the AP rankings. Um, Alabama and Georgia stayed at one and two, and Oklahoma jumped up to three. Oregon with a really impressive win against Ohio State last weekend. Um, really one of the biggest wins in Pac-12 history. You know, maybe the most important as Oregon uh, shoots up into the top five. They are now fourth. Um, and then Iowa with a big win against Iowa State on the road last week. So they are fifth. Uh, Clemson staying at six, followed by Texas A&M at seven. Cincinnati at eight. Ohio State drops all the way back to ninth. Um, and then Penn State is 10th at the moment. Um, just some other teams. Notre Dame had a really, another really kind of not a good performance against Toledo. They, they got the win, but, you know, fall back four spots to 12th. Um, Iowa State falling down to 14th after their loss. Um, and then teams that have risen. Virginia Tech has risen to 15th. Um, Ole Miss is up to 17. Arizona State to 19th. Um, Arkansas is now 20th. They were unranked the previous week and Auburn and North Carolina jumping up a couple spots. So um, you have Michigan, who is new in the top 25, as is BYU. Michigan at 25th, BYU at 23rd, and then Arkansas, obviously, um, at 20. So looking at some of the key games this week, there are not a lot of huge games, you know, necessarily, but you have Nebraska and Oklahoma. I think that Oklahoma's kind of... Not really looked, not really looked as good as you would think they they, they would have um, at this point. Texas A and M had a tough game uh, last week as they had to come back to win, um, but I would expect both of these teams don't have any issues against uh, Nebraska and the University of New Mexico, respectively. Uh, Virginia Tech and West Virginia will take on each other at twelve o'clock on Saturday. All these games are noon games. Michigan State and twenty fourth ranked Miami will play. Uh, Purdue and Notre Dame will play 2.30 on Saturday, and then kind of the biggest game of the weekend, um, first top-ranked Alabama against 11th-ranked Florida in the Swamp. This game is at 3.30 on CBS, so that might be a game worth watching. Um, and then the nightcap, or well, no, there's there's actually a later nightcap. There's um, Auburn and Penn State that will play at 7.30. Auburn traveling to Penn State for the first time ever. Um, so Auburn 22nd, Penn State 10th. 
Um, so just three matchups between teams that are ranked um, with Alabama, Florida, Auburn, Penn State, and then a 10-15 late, late night cap, um, 19th ranked Arizona State and 23rd ranked BYU. So you have a couple of, of games that I think might be worth watching, but, you know, I think we'll keep updating you guys with key games each week. So the top four, obviously the playoff standings don't come out, I think, regularly until November. Um, but Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, and Oregon, the top four at the moment, and Iowa right there at fifth, and Clemson right there at sixth. So I think before we let you guys go, I'll talk a little bit about the WNBA. Regular season will get on, will will finish on Sunday. I think there's only one more playoff spot that will be up for grabs. Um, take a look at the standings real quick. There is a game tonight on Prime Video, uh, Las Vegas, or excuse me, Los Angeles against Atlanta. Uh, but I don't think either of those teams will be going to the playoffs. I think they're both, or actually Atlanta's been eliminated. LA actually is still um, is still in the running for that final playoff spot. Um, so top eight teams make the playoffs. Seven teams have clinched playoff berths. Um, you have Los Angeles and New York that are on the outside looking in at the moment for the playoffs, um, but obviously have not been eliminated. Only Dallas, or only Atlanta and Indiana have been eliminated at the moment. Um, Connecticut is clinched, Las Vegas is clinched, Minnesota, Seattle, Phoenix, Chicago, and Dallas have all clinched playoff spots. Uh, Washington is currently in the eighth spot right now, a game ahead of L.A., and then a game and a half ahead of New York. It looks like Connecticut has the uh, top seed locked up at the moment. They're two and a half games ahead of Las Vegas. Uh, Minnesota has played really well as of late. They've won seven out of ten, um, and Seattle has lost Six out of ten, so they have dropped back. Uh, Phoenix has been red hot recently. They recently won nine straight games. They're currently in the fifth seed at the moment. So we'll keep keep you guys updated as the playoffs start uh, next week. I would assume with the regular season ending on Sunday. So I think it probably does it. Probably does it for for me this week. Um, as always, you can uh, check out the, the written content at Garrett Hayden Sports Media. I'm hoping to you know, be cranking out an article, at least an article a week. Uh, we'll see what I put together next week. Obviously, it was uh, good to get back to writing a little bit about the Bruins as their season gets closer. Um, and, you know, with the podcast, you can always, always check out the uh, social media pages on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, not not at not Boston on Twitter and then not your average Boston sports podcast on Facebook and you can listen to us on Spotify and Apple Music. Uh, have a good good early part of your weekend. Enjoy the weekend, you guys, and we'll uh, meet up again next week. Hopefully, the Patriots can uh, get a ton this week, but uh, we'll break it all down for you guys next week. So have a good one. <laughs>